Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. There are shows with psychics. And there are shows with doctors. But there's no show like the psychic and the doc. Your practical paranormal power unleashed. This show synthesizes the talents of world-class medium Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, psychic explorer, and street-smart spiritualist, behavioral psychologist, Dr. Pat Basili. All subjects are on the table and no topic is taboo. Inspiration, insight, action, and fun as Mark Anthony connects callers with loved ones in spirit in tandem with Dr. Pat's fresh, no-nonsense, street-smart, intuitive insights. And she is hilarious. Extraordinary problems require extraordinary solutions, which may come from this side or the other side. This is the psychic and the doc and it starts now welcome i'm dr pat fasten your seatbelts i'm just saying right now just go ahead get them on put them on there fasten them seatbelts and then at some point in the show you're going to say forget about it forget about the seatbelts we have a great show mark right oh yes we do we do um look i am thrilled one about today's topic because you know if you try to hide from fear and anxiety somehow it knows you hiding it knows it It, it's like oh she's hiding and i see her how do i handle the fear that comes with age and the anxiety it brings how do i do that mark we have a very very special featured guest to help us answer that question don't we we do you know, because you know, we've been talking a lot in the past, well, basically since the inception of the show, but particularly in the last month about fear, you know, and you said fear knows, I mean, fear can smell fear, you know, you know, you said animals can smell fear, fear can smell fear. And, you know, we're talking also tonight about coping with a lot of fears in life, many of which are very realistic, yeah. um, you know, uh, getting older, coping with disease, being abused. And, you know, it used to be when you thought of a grandmother, you got images of a woman sitting on a porch in a rocking chair, knitting a sweater. But our guest today may be a mother and a grandmother. But trust me, there are no rocking chairs, <laughs> knitting or sweaters in, in this interview tonight. We have the amazing Wendy Cooper. She is by her own description, a self-taught writer, director, and producer, and she has won 17 telly awards for her work in TV commercials. 
And she started all of this in 1997 on a wing and a prayer. Uh, she started out with a $10,000 loan, a borrowed car, and a dream, and she launched the first full-service end-to-end direct consumer agency. And then as a pioneer in infomercials, Wendy not only guided her clients from concept to consumer, but helped launch some of the most well-recognized consumer products for major branches around the world and major brands around the world. You know, and it's funny because Wendy rhymes with Fendi, and I know what that is because I've actually seen a few episodes of Sex in the City, but I digress. But Wendy is the host of several podcasts. She's a former HSN product expert, an ovarian cancer survivor, and, um, and, and you know, October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and so bringing awareness to cancer is always extremely important. She also escaped horrible domestic violence in her 20s. But she has emerged as an advocate for combating ageism, and she loves sharing the voices of others and hopes to create a better world for generations to come. So it is my honor and privilege to introduce and welcome to the Psychic in the Dock, my friend, Wendy Cooper. Welcome aboard, Wendy. Yay! (laughs) Yahoo, Wendy! Thank you, thank you. That was really nice. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> nice to meet you, Dr. Pat. I'm I'm Wonderful. super thrilled to be here. Uh, super thrilled. So, you know, I hope I can bring value to all of the listeners uh, and and get some questions of my own answered. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get that done. You know, I want to ask you a question that came from a very awkward situation in my life. Um, the show was never the Dr. Pat show that I did. It was called Crust Busting Your Way to an Awesome Life. I was a person that should have had it all, went back to school, had the the credentials, and I was depressed beyond my years, beyond belief. And out of that, I, I dialed a wrong phone number. And that wrong phone number led me to buy my first hour of air time in 2003, internet only, and everybody wanted to have me committed. They just thought you've lost it now. But here's what I want to know, I want to know from you, because this is the question that I've been asking people for 18 years. I love your story. And I know you didn't get here by the slide and glide of life. I would oh love God. to know. No, right. Oh I'd love God. to know look, what challenges, what obstacles, Wendy, did you have to overcome to bring you to this very moment today? And uh, to add to that, what are the challenges that I'm overcoming today? Uh, <laughs> Mark's going to help you with that. <laughs> the, the, the story is a crazy one. It's about five different books. Um, but what led me to, if I told the real story, which sometimes I am told I should tell the real story and not be afraid to tell the real story, um, but... When I was in my 20s, I made a decision when I was leaving Butterfly Beach in Santa Barbara. I was 26, maybe. I was a big Frisbee player, and I always, I owned this one beach in front of the Biltmore. And I would play Frisbee until 6, 7 o'clock at night during the summer. And at one point, the changing point in my life was walking up to my little Chevette, all greasy and sandy, and in my crocheted bikini, and saying to myself, do I go home? Or do I go to Joyce's? Do I go home? I can remember sitting at the steering wheel going, go right or go left, right? And I went right, which was wrong. 
which maybe was right, but at the time I had no idea how freaking wrong that turn was. That led to meeting the um, father of my second, of my first son, Wyatt, who's now 40. That was the domestic abuse, the financial abuse, the horrific years that I spent running, um, captured by this person. Most people don't know this story that, you know, swept me off my feet and it was all smoke and mirrors and I gave up everything. He had me literally sell my car so that we could collect the insurance, burn my car, burn it so that we could sell, we could get the insurance because, you know, his partners hadn't come through on the deal in Geneva, Switzerland yet. That was going to bring the millions of dollars through the wire transfer any day now. Well, that obviously never happened. He turned out, he's dead now, he turned out to be wanted by the FBI. His The name was not the real person who I had met and thought I married. Um, I was a stepmother to a 12-year-old named Jimmy, who was not Jimmy at all. He was Brent. And then I had a child mm. from this guy. Whoops. We actually became some of the largest landowners in Austin, Texas, prior to the real estate boom. Um, I had to plan my escape because he was a drug addict and he had to plan his escape because he became so successful under an alias and such a huge landowner in Austin, Texas under an alias. No one knows this story that we had to plan our escape in the middle of the night and wow. put, it was, it's crazy. Change our names, go to the dead headstone, get the name of the next, you know, who we would be. I then had to plan an escape from that man who beat me every single day. Mm. Um, and I did in the middle of the New Orleans airport. So that part mm. of my life is gone. I now have a child and I'm off and running and I get into entertainment. I come back to, I come to Los Angeles, I have $5,000 and I start a new life as an um, entertainment. I become a secretary to a high power entertainment guy, Lloyd Ziderman, <laughs> who I think is now dead, also everybody's dead. <laughs> I didn't kill him, <laughs> but I learned so much, so much along the way, right? Uh, one thing leads to another, and that was, not, you know, I knew everyone in Hollywood, but I was the assistant, the executive assistant, and blah, blah, blah. So my lifestyle was kind of interesting and weird. I had come from being very wealthy, married to a fake guy with fake this and that, but he had a lot of money, raised a lot of money. We had a lot of money, so my lifestyle and ev everything was yeah. messed up. But I have my kid. And then, um, so, um, oh my God, where was I? Okay, one thing leads to another. And I'm in it. This is how the entertainment thing happened for me and where I've gotten to. So it's an important part. I decide after years of working for Lloyd Ziderman, a few years, uh, he fired me one day because there was a box of donuts on, on uh, my desk. And uh, um, he came back from New York. He was in a bad mood. And so he said, You're out of here. So now I'm a young woman with now a Two and a half year old. I sell everything. I join Club Med. I become a geo for Club Med. And I'm off to there and I leave my son at three years old with my mother. I don't even tell him I'm leaving or going anywhere. My mother's encouraging me saying, go, fly, spread your wings, sell everything. It's okay. You just came from an abusive relationship, blah, 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 blah. Go to summer camp, Wendy, and play in the circus, which I did. And I ended up meeting after about five months I got very ill but while I was gone in LA to get better and I went back to the Bahamas to to um, be back on the geo team um, 
this French guy comes along and he is an au pair. We fall in love. We don't speak each other's languages. I sell it. I eventually just go to Paris with a one-way ticket. <laughs> and oh. I go to Paris, one-way ticket. I knew this man for three weeks. Maybe that. And we did not speak the same language. I end up there. I end up in Paris. And I work for actually the guys, the BCCI scandal guys. I was a teletype operator for this big scandal that happened years later. I return. I meet Bob Cooper. I have Chance Cooper. He goes to jail for white collar crime. I am once again left with a kid, two kids now, and it's a nightmare, right? So I'm always having to fend for myself. I eventually get a job. Um, working for Apollo Advisors. And then all of a sudden, my husband's out of jail. He wants something to do. One thing leads to another. And he does this diet product that just kind of fell in his lap. That became one of the largest infomercials. And I quit my job and I said, I, you need help. You don't even know what a sales tax is. So I jumped <laughs> in into do help them with that. That grew and I always stayed in that industry. I didn't know Dr. Pat and uh -huh. Mark, what I was learning, I left out my construction management gig part. I forgot about that. I learned how to produce commercials because I had taken construction management because I worked for construction management in one of my things. <laughs> um, and in the future, I just didn't know I had a creative bone in my body back then. It wasn't until I was 38 years old that and six day bio diet was the infomercial and I became the talent. And then I did Slender Secret, another one a selling diet in Brazil and United States. I became big at HSN. No, and all yeah. of a sudden people were just coming to me. Mm. Wendy, you can do this, you can produce, you can you know the back end, you know how to make campaigns successful. And that built C Spot Run Productions, which I came to me in the middle of the night. See Spot Run, see the dog, the spot, the TV commercial, see for Wendy, see for or see for Cooper, see for Commerce, see for this. And it was just this organic thing that happened off of that $10,000. Oh, by the way, I lost everything when yeah. it came to the infomercials. So I was homeless at that point, And I thought of that. And that's what happened with $10,000 and my skill and knowledge wow. and, and the grace of God, I think. All of it. And I so relate to it. I mean, honestly, I'm so glad you brought the construction thing up because construction taught me everything I needed to know to own this particular company. Um, if you do construction and facilities management for uh, a large corporation and you do it down to that level, you either pick up a few things or they bury you like in the cement. I loved, I, loved that job. I loved that job. <laughs> I loved that job. I loved that job. I did too. Wow. I did Wendy. It was TI, Tenant Improvement, and I went in there as just a secretary, and I yeah. loved that job. Yeah. I loved it. And I later realized that that skill set is what made me a great producer. I totally so, get it. Go ahead, Mark. So, Wendy, you know, it's interesting because when you were explaining that, it seems like for a lot of your life, you didn't have faith in yourself. But underneath that layer, you did, you know, because, you know, people just don't jump into the deep end of the pool, not sure if they know how to swim and then make that into a successful business. So uh -huh. how did you reconcile the self-doubt with the, I think I can? Survival. 
You know, I lost everything. When Six Day Bio died, I did $600 million. That all went into the black hats of the infomercial world, and, and that was a nightmare. And then I created Slender Secret, and um, and that got me a little bit back on my feet. But I didn't know what I knew. I just was doing it because I am like that. I'm yeah. a high school graduate other than the project management school I went to for construction management in my 30s, but I never had an algebra class. Yeah. I never had I never had sociology or statistics or geometry. So I was I was and I'm one of six kids. So I'm to this day, I can run a mean metrics. I can't really explain it to you in the terms you need it explained to you in. But I can run the crap out of it, and I know what I'm talking about. But I really stumble in my, in my confidence. Now, let me say that if I'm speaking in front of 300 people, I am so much more confident because I'm speaking about what I know. Right. But take me off the stage and put me in a networking event where I have to do that one on one weird thing. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, but no. I'll be one person up on a stage talking to 300 people. Oh, uh, I get so much blowback every time I go to a networking event because I'm sitting there and everybody like, OK, like she's going to talk in the whole table. I say nothing. I am such an introvert that Myers Briggs made me take the intro, maybe take that test four times. And, you know, and what's interesting, what I love about what you're saying is I talk about my two moms. My mom committed suicide, my birth mom. Mm -hmm. And I talk about my second mom. And people ask me, like, we don't we don't get you like suicide, homeless at 17, arrested at 19 for something you didn't do. Clerk at the phone company. We don't get you. I said, you don't need to get me. You just need to be around my stepmom because you'll learn a lesson of perseverance that you can't read in any book. Can't read it. Yeah. You just as a woman, first child, 12, second child, 13. You want to talk about what you can learn from somebody like you, Wendy. But you see, that's what it is now. See, this is why your message and who you are is so important today. So can I, you know, you said that, I, you know, I started doing... Uh, LA Talk Radio, which is digital radio back yeah. then. I think it was 2013. Yeah. I think that's when I started. And I did it because I was going, to, I went to, I was feeling miserable. I was just hated because I, my cancer, my first bout with ovarian cancer came in mm -hmm. 2005. At the time I was rolling in kind of in dough, right? I was at the height of really my career and mm -hmm. I just had a lot of, I didn't know that it was going to stop, but you know, it was there at the time. Thank God. And, um, and so a few years later, I really hated my life. I hated, I used to introduce myself like, I hate my husband and I hate my kids. I hate my carpet. I hate my house. I hate my hair. I just hate, I, my name is Wendy like that. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I did. And uh, until I went to a, a Kabbalah thing and I, and I realized that, there was just something, you know, I could change. Yeah. Right. And I didn't have to hate my life. So I worked on things and it was really, I, they, then eventually they wanted me to volunteer to do like a radio show for them, like produce it for them. And I thought, 
you know, everything's about volunteerism and you're going to share and you're going to get more light. And if I do this radio thing, okay, I'll produce it for you with the two guys and Brad Pomerantz. And, and I didn't. And it took so much of my creativity and, and, and uh, editing dialogue, which I'm really good at. But this was a real job to do this, right? But then I learned that you could actually have a radio show of your own. Yep. And my teacher said, well, maybe you should do that to get out of your comfort zone. And I guess I had an attitude. <laughs> so I said, I go, no, I don't want to do a radio show. I just don't want to do that. But three months later, I woke up in the morning because it came to me. And it was like, it's what you have to do. And I did it. And I never stopped. I've never stopped. Right. Maybe a year I stopped. But I love this whole sharing thing. And I don't make really money doing it. Right. But I can't stop doing it. Right. Totally. Who in their right minds? dials a wrong phone number in 2003 from New York, doesn't hang up, like doesn't hang up. Like, I don't know, do you all know anybody that like from New York that would dial a wrong phone number and not hang up? Doesn't no. hang up. <laughs> is looking for a man by the name of Tracy and the, the people answering the phone, no, 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 this is a broadcast network. And I'm like, a what? And they said, you must mean Tacy. I'm like, no, Tracy. I got the number. I transpose numbers. I got the number and it says Tracy. That's an R. No, no, no. Let me get you to Tacy. I don't hang up. <laughs> Within 10, and to, to, I remember Tacy asking me, Hi, what do you do? Like real deep voice. And I said, I do crust busting. She said, What? I said, do crust busting. That's what uh, I do. I help people bust or, through the crust. Or, oh, the like crust. Like they're crusty. Crust. Okay. I said, I'm crusty. I was crusty. I couldn't get off the couch. That's what I'm doing. I help people crust bust their way to an awesome life. You're a coach. She said, great. That would be a great show on our network. I said, you're right. What does that even mean? But I didn't even ask. She said, do you want to do it? I said, yeah. What do I need to do? Give me your credit card. Pull out a credit card. 2003. Internet only. One of the first internet stations ever launched. $75. Uh, $7,500. Wait, wait. Pull out the card, okay? Like I had the credit card. Pull out the card. I never looked back. I never even thought about internet, not internet. I never thought about it because something told me this was... This was it. Three months later, station in Seattle, which I'm still on now, AMFM, heard about crust busting. It's funny. You're not going to believe it. Five days a week, we're open. Pull out a credit card. The minute I got behind a mic is what you just described. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was people paying me? No. I didn't know anything about any of mm -hmm. this. It was like coming home. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. See, yeah. see, that's why you have to share your story. Yeah. Because everybody is going to get an opportunity in life to feel that. You know, I have so many stories to share is my so so let's fast forward to today. And, you know, the ageism thing, if mm. we can talk just a little bit about that. So at one point, I had stopped doing my I was doing a show at UBN in, in Hollywood and in, at the studio where Mark came a few times. And, right. and that was a lot of fun because I was right there in Hollywood. And sometimes after the show, you know, let's go have dinner. Let's go do this or whatever. And so that turned into kind of a, 
uh, a night out as opposed to a show, right? <laughs> because it was like, okay, we have a purpose for being here. We're not sure what it is anymore, but we're here. Uh, and so, and I had millennial co-hosts and things, and they were wearing on me a little bit. And so I said, let's take a sabbatical. And uh, I had gotten this job as a visual, at a visual effects house. Somebody gave me this job for a lot of money in 2018, but I hated the job. I sold my soul for money, drove to Burbank every day. And on my way to Burbank one day, I heard embrace your age and share your wisdom. Yeah. Embrace your age as I was going around the curve on the one, one on the five. And uh, I went, okay, that's it. That's it. And then I heard uh, remarkable people over 50. And I started to interview remarkable people over 50. Mm -hmm. And I started to learn that what I was feeling, at, it was, I think I was 62 or 63 years old, I'm 66 now. What I was feeling, what I was feeling was not this angst that was personal, but it's an angst that everyone starts to feel when they get to be a certain age. And I was starting to hear this from everyone, whether they were a celebrity, an author, uh, a TV host, whoever I was interviewing, it was like the same thing. They had these same feelings. They were dealing with the same crap, which basically boils down to ageism, right? They were dealing with the fact that, oh, I was always a host on TV and now I can't get a gig. Oh, I was always a rock star. No, I can't get you know, heard or seen, you know, age boys becoming and then creative directors and so and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, look at this, especially in the creative space, age becomes such a thing that the millennials and the that are running the world, there's this big separation happening. And this thing called ageism is coming in that is creating a really bad vibe when we need to come together on this because we're only going to live longer. And we need to have a good vibration between all of us. And it's just tearing people apart. And people of a, over 50, 60, they're young. They're living longer. They're, I mean, 60 is a new 40 for a freaking reason. You know what I'm saying? Not because we made that up. It's because we are. We are chronologically or physically 40 years old. Well, right? you know, it, it, it's from what I have seen, what I, I, I experience. It's difficult getting older and in, in the workplace. Right. And, and it's ridiculous because people have years of experience. And, you know, Wendy, you're in L.A., the Hollywood, you know, Beverly Hills, you know, Burbank area. And I think it's difficult everywhere for women. But it seems like in L.A., it's magnified, <laughs> you know, because it's L.A. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just magnified actually everywhere. It's crazy in the United States, but I think more in metropolitan areas. Yes, you're right. There's a lot more ageism that's happening because there's more professional women and those professional women get older and those professional women are expected or everybody's expected to retire at 65. Why would you retire at 65? If you're living 20 years longer, why wouldn't you retire at 85? <laughs> you, you know, you know? Uh Speaking of L.A., I, when I was in L.A., I think it was at the, I think it's the Laugh Factory. Mm -hmm. you know, and there was a comedian and he said the only thing that people in their 20s are really good at is looking better than people in their 30s, 40s and 50s. So <laughs> shut up. <laughs> well, you know, I want to chime in here for a minute because I got to tell you how blessed I am. We have a population of people that work here and they and I want to just say this because this is how blessed I am. They age ages 
like 21-ish or something <laughs> to 72-ish. Now, I got to say something. Once upon a time, I had a view of millennials. And then I met Jessica. And Jessica started 10 years ago. And her soul is so by far amazingly wise. And I'm not saying this is everybody. She started as an intern here and she has built this company. When I go off to my own next year, when I go off to my own private brand and I'm back out there again, she will run this company. Why? I'm blessed with somebody like her. But I'll tell you something that I learned. Ageism, it hits you when you're older and it hits you when you're, when younger. you're younger. I would, dr- mm-hmm. I would take I her to events with me, Wendy. I agree. And she'd be right next to me. She'd be running remote shows with Heather. And she would be helping orchestrate the mm-hmm. stage. And people took one look at Jessica. And I would put her on a phone to talk to a client or something. And they look at Jessica like... Who are you? And I, I had a Jessica. Exactly. And she was a Jessica. Exactly. And I remember getting hit with that. And you know how that hurts our heart when we get hit with ageism? Mm-hmm. But it hit me so hard. And I just looked at the person and I said, and I can't tell you who the man is, but it, he was a longtime host with us. And I said, she's our expert. Everything that you're going to do right today, you're going to look at her and thank her later. I'm going to make sure you do. You're going to walk up to that stage. The microphone's going to be working perfectly. You're going to be able to move around. She's going to make sure she records it properly. And then you're going to come off stage. You're going to thank her. And then later on, when it's all edited and your video footage, which really isn't looking very good because your colors don't really work today, you're going to come back and thank us because Jessica's going to take that reel and she's going to edit it. She's going to make you look so good. Every part of what you didn't do right today is going to look perfect. That sounds just like my Jessica. That is so That's weird. That's who Jessica is. Yeah. Yesterday, before a break, I want to end with this. Yesterday, we had a situation. Jessica stood up in front of two members. And I heard her talk about me in a way I've never heard in my life. Talk about respect in this organization. And we don't like the same music. She's from Montana. But I'll tell you something. You talking about ageism, it is hitting people at all ages. At all ages. I want to know. And I agree with you. I mean, it's crushing people. Right now, you would probably have more clients that are in their 20s than you can imagine because they don't know what to do. But when we come back. Yes, please. This thing about getting old. This thing, like I've had more talks with my friend Dee Wallace about this thing, this age thing. This ain't no joke, people. This is for real. This is the thing that's going on. And if you're an organization that is in the place where you're looking at Wendy or you're looking at me, and I don't know if you're looking at Mark yet, but if you're looking at us and you're going to hire somebody and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder how old they are. You're asking the wrong question when we come back. You should be asking, how knowledgeable are they? How experienced? How much potential do they have? You know, how much of Wendy Cooper is inside of them? When we come back, how do you battle this? How do you battle it? 
And then how do you become a battler and a warrior like Wendy Cooper? We'll be right back. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. Hi, I'm Laura Goldstein, and here's a Coffee with the Universe tip. Ever wonder why you want to go to the gym more, for example, but you just can't make it happen? You find yourself rearranging your underwear drawer instead of getting in the car. If this sounds like you, you might have caught a case of the shoulds. Maybe you think you should lose 20 pounds to fit back into your favorite pair of jeans, or that you should be healthier in general. It all sounds good, but deep down, you just aren't into it. Truth is, making choices from shoulds just leads to guilt, resentment, and a whole lot of procrastination. So take a good look at your goals. Are you shoulding yourself anywhere? If so, give yourself permission to let it go. For more insights like this, tune into my Transformation Talk radio show called Coffee with the Universe. It's a live call-in show. I'd love to support you. Life can be demanding. And you may feel like you're constantly on the go, but sometimes our wheels are spinning and we're too focused on making them turn to notice we're stuck in the mud. Tune into The Pause with me, Ellen Wyoming Deloy, every second and fourth Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio. Learn how to stop, reflect, and start moving forward with intention. And if you're really looking to jumpstart your personal development, schedule a free consultation with me at ellenwyomingdeloy.com. Your own innate brilliance already lives inside of you. Come discover it so you can shine brightly in this world. Join me, your host, Adrian Cobb, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, during My Wild Magic on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get answers to who you are and where you belong. To learn more about me and the show, visit MyWildMagic.com. Again, that's MyWildMagic.com. Hi, I'm Mark Anthony, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Pat, and you're listening to The Psychic and the Doc, and we have an amazing guest today, Wendy Cooper, who, if we just went through her credentials, we'd spend the rest of the show telling you what they are, Um, but Wendy's here to talk to us about overcoming all sorts of Mm -hmm. adversity and about the changing face of ageism. You know, and when I was hearing both of you talk about about the ageism and Dr. Pat, you brought up a really interesting point that it affects everybody at every age. I remember, you know, I was the youngest person in my class in law school, and then I found myself in court trying cases when I was 24 years old. And I remember people telling me, are you old enough to do this? You know, because I look like I was 15 years old <laughs> at the time. And um, I remember getting 
marginalized a lot because I didn't look old enough. That was, of course, until the trial started. And then things began to change. But I also gleaned from the first half of the show that where do we excel? When do we excel? And it's always when we're, like you said, Wendy, you got to get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's always an adversity. You know, Dr. Yeah. Pat, you know, you were sharing, how, you know, how difficult your childhood and, and early adulthood was. And Wendy, you know, certainly everything uh, that you've been through. And the thing is, if everything were soft and fuzzy and a piece of cake, why would we ever try to grow, expand and learn? We grow in response to adversity. Wow. Well, but yeah, I, I want Wendy to address that too, because Wendy, before we get rolling here, because we do get rolling, I would love people to know right now, one, how do they find out more about you? Because this is an important conversation for people uh, to really tap into. People are feeling stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love that we're talking about ageism and we're probably going to focus on ageism uh, of the older population, because right now they're feeling so um, not valued. Uh, they're feeling a little helpless and hopeless. A lot of folks are feeling technology has left them behind and they can't even figure out how to get their damn vaccine if they wanted one because it's all online. You're talking about much older people because if somebody was 65 years old, they obviously know how to use their iPhone. You know, so you have to like put it. I always tell people, yeah, I kind of have to put a cap on things like because yeah. my dad's 93 and he oh, can't oh, live yeah. without his without his iPad. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Linda, are you listening? You're supposed to know how to use your phone. Linda, you listening? <laughs> um, uh, but Wendy, how do we... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Linda, Wendy, talking to you. Um, how do we find out about you? Tell us. Okay, so there's quite a few ways. Um, my direct-to-consumer or my agency website is... It, it's actually all in one place, all okay. right? But I don't talk a lot about myself online uh, in my website because it's okay. more of a come hire me, come see what I do, da da da, da. So you can go to wendycooper.com, Wendy with an I. Uh, that will take you to... Or you can go to the letter C, spotrun.com. That takes you right to the page where my commercials are and, and things like that. From there, you can see my other two podcasts, which is one is the Wendy Cooper Show Conversation Story Views. I just did one with Mark. Uh, the Story Views, which is uh, conversations with remarkable people over 50, but I turn them into fun, beautiful little story views. I, it's not just an interview. I also have the Daily Five or the Five, which I don't do daily anymore, but this is where everyone, it's such a great thing to do, is to just sit down in front of a microphone and be be you, just be you. So I would, I committed myself during the pandemic that I would do that. And I ended up creating these fun little vignettes and very different things. Sometimes they're rants and some, but that's called the, the five with Wendy Cooper everywhere you get your podcast. Hmm. Okay. And, and then I'm on Fireside. So I'm a creator on Fireside, which is a new platform from Mark Cuban, which is podcasting with a live audience. But right. I also take that podcast and I distribute it elsewhere. This is where I am taking my 
intelligence, my skills, and I'm saying, okay, if nobody wants to listen to me, nobody wants to hire me because I'm really bad at knocking on doors, you know, after being successful and then saying, okay, now where did everybody go, right? I'm not used to making a cold call. I don't know how to make a cold call. And so I have podcasts. So my podcast, Where's the Beef? Tech versus Creative on Fireside and also everywhere you get your podcasts. I interview people in the tech, advertising, marketing uh, and uh, space. And we kind of talk about the cultural, you know, from a creative point of view, and then the people from Samsung and smart devices and things like this. So where, and this is where I get to talk about my, I get to talk as a host of my expertise, my creative expertise and what I, I have. People will hear that. It's a slow churn, but I'm marketing, this is my marketing tool. My podcasts have always been a place where I bring other people's voices to the world and I tell them, this is the best marketing tool you could ever have is just by be on the podcast, you know, and then repurpose it. So I see the, I always see such a big picture of things and I'm able to, I was able also to offer clients from concept to consumer, everything from your concept, because I work with a lot of inventors, did a lot of programs, fostered that. Shark Tank really came from the things that I created. And I did that because I lost everything at one point in my life. So my passion oh, Hold on, to... Wendy, Wendy. So where is this website? What's the website Oh, wendycooper.com. There yeah, we go, wendycooper.com. Yeah, no, she gave, she gave it out. But, you know, when you go to wendycooper.com. I want to make sure, sure everybody yeah. knows it. Yeah. Because, because here's the thing, I, you know, I... I'm familiar with your website. I just want everyone else to, because you, you're so multifaceted. Right. There's so many different avenues right. there because you offer so many right. different things. That's and here's problem. what I'll say <laughs> about, about your take on ageism and Dr. Pat's take on ageism is you're going to keep going until you don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and it's funny because um, in, in the work that, that I do, uh, particularly uh, with the International Association of Near-Death Studies, a lot of the founders of, of IANS are now in their mid to late 80s, mm-hmm. and they're still writing books. They're still lecturing. Mm-hmm. They're still going. And I, I asked them, I go, so when are you going to stop? They go, when I do. You know, and it's like, what an inspiration. You know, and, and it's funny because... Um, you know, they look at me as the kid and it feels good because I'm the kid again. You know, I was the youngest person graduated law school, the youngest person, in the prosecutor's office, the youngest attorney in, in all the law firms that I that I started and founded. And, you know, ageism is is a constant and ongoing and shifting and changing thing. And I think that, Wendy, what you do by bringing it to the forefront is helping a lot of people, whether they're 20 or 80, feel better about themselves. Yeah, you have to eradicate it, right? You have to just say, look, society has to basically say, okay, um, we all need to work together, learn from each other. We always have. We need to respect the elderly. We need to market to people like us, like we're cool and relevant, not like we're going to the bingo freaking parlor, right? I mean, seriously, are we going to the bingo parlor? No, we're not. We're not. Well, but this well, is this is yeah. the stuff that happens out there, right? And you get and you're. Thank you for saying that, Mark. My yes, I offer so many different things in my that that is so difficult to 
say where to go. So, you know, if you listen to my podcast on Fireside or wherever, you're going to see one side of me. If you listen to this podcast, you're going to see a different side of me and and so forth and so on. Well, well, that was I remember when I walked into the UBN studio the first time I was on your show and there were so many plaques and signs and things about what you did. I'm looking there going, is there anything that Wendy hasn't done? No, you know, and 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 I think that that that's well, but it's so true. Thank you. It's so true. And 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 if I may ask you guys, uh, if we can do this is my question for you guys, right, is I'm stuck. I really am stuck. It appears to everyone that I've got it all going on. Right. Yeah, I, I, that I like. for so many years. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it all going on. Right. But I'm shifting. I'm still fighting the cancer thing now that mm-hmm. I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting older. I look different. And and so what is it that I really do want to do in my life? Mm-hmm. This is the question that everybody, when they reach a certain age, they start to wake up going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And it plagues you, right? It really plagues you. Am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right direction? I need to make money like everybody needs to make money. Um, am I putting too much faith in something that isn't going to come back to me. How do mm-hmm. I do this? How do I focus? How do All I right. get in that tunnel? Well, let's see if you want to go to Mark first. Yes. Let's get Mark rolling. So <laughs> I want to, you know, I studied broken promises for 10 years, so I don't want to break a promise here and not connect you with Mark. <laughs> Wendy, I know that, um, you know, before we started the show, you said that, you know, there's someone that you wanted to connect to. And you know, I've certainly been on your show and I've done readings and sometimes the person that you want to connect with may not be the first one in, I know. but I'm getting a male energy connected to you coming through and I'm getting this burning sensation in my stomach and this nausea and vomiting. And what that indicates to me is that this gentleman was having difficulty eating and or holding down food prior to passing yet nausea is also a cancer indicator doesn't always mean cancer but it feels like with him it was because i'm getting these these pains in my bones my wrists all my connective tissue Mm -hmm. i feel a draining sensation throughout the body and a draining sensation is consistent with a disease like cancer which takes you down a click at a time and i'm getting all these pressure points in my head and that does not feel good it feels like tumors so whatever type of cancer he had it metastasized and the problem is it was affecting his mental clarity and state of mind prior to passing because i could see that there there were some either i don't want to call them violent outbursts but they could be or erratic outbursts and even some some real angry statements that he is clarifying that he didn't mean he was out of control does any of this make sense to you part of it but not not the other part what part does the male well yeah but what about the 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 cancer the draining sensation uh well uh, could that have been more of an emphysema thing um, the draining thing, you know, the mucusy thing that you get when you have emphysema. That you no, have clear. this feels like a male who died from cancer. Okay. okay, so I don't know how this person died that I wanted, uh, that I really wanted to see if he would come. Okay. So he could have died of cancer, Mark, seriously. I don't oh, know. Okay. Um, were the two of you emotionally involved? No. And the reason I'm saying this is because he keeps handing you a ring. He keeps handing you a ring. 
Oh, well, that, you know, I got a lot of people over there. I got to tell you, that could be one of <laughs> a few. Well, uh, I know you indicated that, that your first, the first husband died. What did he die from? He died from throat cancer, but I never saw him after. There we right? go. And oh, that's, oh that's Jesus, exactly it's him coming and wanting to tell well, me he's on, sorry. I'm not a bouncer, okay, sorry, so I can't say sorry. Sorry, back to heaven. I or, know or you can All right, I'll listen to him, okay, come on. A male who died of cancer chomping at the bit, and he he's handing you a <clears throat> yes, ring. Yes, it's him, it's him. Okay, All right. um, he said, telling you that I'm sorry would be too cliche because you know that. He says, but let me tell you something. I really was a... All right, I'm not going to say it, okay? Um, and he also was explaining that he was extremely abusive. He said that you were the perfect victim for me because I was a sociopath. And you were the arm candy that I needed. You were the icing on the cake to help me open those doors so that I could exploit other people. And now that I'm here and in a perspective to be able to see things very clear, I'm... I'm ashamed. So he does want you to know that, and he is sorry about that. Okay. Um, but he does want to, this is fascinating because he is explaining to me that he was a sociopath. And the thing is, you were so trusting at that point that you fit completely into his schemes. Now, the guy with the emphysema, I'm getting another guy coming in. Now my lungs are burning. So husband uh, number one is taking he's a sorry. step Thank he, you. Tell he's him sorry. Thanks. And he's admitting that uh, he was a sociopath. That's and he's not. He, he, he doesn't want you to blame yourself for falling prey to his schemes. Never. Okay. Now, we got the um, gentleman who passed me the emphysema because I feel like there's steel mm -hmm. wool on my lungs. All right. That's, that's definitely an emphysema. Ow. My head is hurting really badly. So I'm getting a lot of pounding sensations there, which could also indicate he may have been having surges of high blood pressure or may have died from either an aneurysm or a stroke towards the very end. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you would say yes or no, yes, please. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. All right. Hold on. He said, we never got the chance to complete the project. We never got the <gasps> chance to complete the project. This keeps getting repeated. We never got the chance to complete the project. And he said, I was 007 and you were the bond woman. I was 007 and you were the bond woman. I know what he's and, talking about. Okay, good. Because, you know, um, to me, it doesn't look like a sexist comment. It's like he was the James Bond and you were that cool, you know, accomplice. At, we, never you know, knew each, we never knew each other. We never yeah. knew each other, but we, this is, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, but you're, are you still working on this project? This is the answer. This is what my question. Okay. He said, should I be go gangbusters, go gangbusters. Um, I'm going to take that as a yes, you yes. should be. Yes. Okay. Is he there um, with, is he there with the other guys? Yes. Is there four of them? Yes. Okay. Cause yes. there's four guys. Is there some type of bush like outside, like where you live that has lots of thorns on it? It's like an mm -hmm. ilex. Okay. It's, yeah. um, I, I have a bougainvillea that has these gigantic thorns on it. Okay. Um, is it more of a reddish bougainvillea? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Ilex is, looks like holly. So I'm getting that red. Okay. 
Um, that's the verifiable fact following a message. When spirits uh -huh, give me uh -huh, a message, uh -huh, or, you know, uh -huh, you understand uh -huh, that. Okay. I get it. <laughs> um, interesting. Interesting. The reason he's bringing up this thorny flowering bush, he said, think of this like the project. When you go to approach it, you see the alluring flowers, but then you want to back away because of the thorns. He said, but I know you, Wendy, you'll be able to negotiate your way around the thorns to get the flower. So what I feel in my gut is, it's, it is, is he says go, and the other guys say go too. The oh, other yeah. guys are there saying do it, right? If you only yeah. knew who those other guys were, you would die. You would literally freak out. I know who they are. I'll tell you after. Um, but awesome, because that's, that's like, that has to do with something that I want to pursue and do, and it would really take a lot of dedication to do that. Um, and, I, and, and, and I feel in my heart it's what I want to do for the rest of my life is work on this project, right? Because it's so important to so many different is there anything connected with you, a project you're working on now or this that has to do with biotech? Because he's talking about biotech. Now, this may not be the project you're working on, but what I like about this is he said that he's telling me that you're going to have all the time you need to complete this. And he's, he's also telling me that um, you're – Obviously, I know that you're very health conscious, but you said that your diet will be key to your staying alive, success, to get it staying done. alive, <laughs> getting yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of the other questions. But um, uh, I, I like it when they answer the question before you ask it. Yeah, um, yeah. I always get the biggest kick out of that when spirits do that, but they know that that's um, and uh, and and here's the thing. And Dr. Pat and I are very careful about that on the show about diagnosing and prescribing. Yep. So run this through your healthcare provider, disclaimer, disclaimer. It seems that beans, B-E-A-N-S, beans are going to be an essential part of your diet. I'm getting lentils and I'm getting these white beans like um, garbanzo beans mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. um, uh, great cannellini. northern beans, mm -hmm. cannellini, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And what is those? Um, yeah, the, the white bean... Um, mm -hmm. Navy beans, yeah. Navy beans. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah, I know beans are good and all that, but my husband some... has tons of beans in the cupboard. Oh, all those beans. Yeah. Verifiable fact, following a message. Mm -hmm. So right. Wendy, you know, be true to yourself, be true to your health, mm -hmm. stick to your guns. And he, they say, go gangbusters. And the number five, number five, number five, number five. Okay. That keeps getting repeated to the number five. Now that could be the fifth month, which is May. That could be the fifth number of any month, but number five, number five, number five, number five. And those four of them could be 20 as well. So there's the number five and the number 20 may be of significance. Go right ahead. Cotton, cotton, cotton. In what, oh, I don't understand what way. Go yeah, ahead. I get it. Cotton okay, is a, it's, there's 20, there's 20 of them. There's and 20, what's there's thorny. Right. There's 20 of them that are cotton. He's telling me it's true. There's 20 that are cotton, I believe. Okay. So you understand Something how like cotton is picked. Well, my oh, step from on the cotton? deep south. If you ever know anybody that picks cotton in them cotton fields, take they a look at thorns? their hands. <gasps> okay. That's the message. Mark? That's true. That's key. There you go, Dr. Pat. See, that's why I love working with Dr. Pat. Wow. See, because I don't always understand everything that comes through because I'm just the mm -hmm. conduit. And what I like about, and this is the strength of this show, 
is Dr. Pat is an objective professional observer, and she's really great at putting these metaphors together. Go ahead, Dr. Pat. It's your uh, And that's really what I was going to say. And I know we only have a few minutes left. So I want to say two things for everybody listening. Please, please connect with Wendy. And if you go to Wendy Cooper, and it is W-E-N-D-I Cooper.com, you're going to go over there. There's a lot of things, but I really highly encourage you to listen to her show. You know, one of the things I love about being, you know, in the business I'm in is that we like to share things. Please listen to the podcast. Please connect with Wendy. Um, And so what I want to say is, as you were talking about this, is that there are two metaphors with cotton. And when you said cotton, I thought about cotton. And there are two things to think about. You got a message. Something you're going to do has to do with cotton. Cotton picking is one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. But there's something else to be mindful of with the metaphor of thorns. And I want to, I just want to leave you with this. You and I probably could be sisters to another mother or brother in some of their life. And for most of my life, I thought I could do everything alone. This is not an alone journey. Don't know a lot about the project, but I'll leave you with this. It's not enough. Find your allies. Mm -hmm. Find your allies. Mm -hmm. Find the people around you Mm -hmm. that want to be around you because they love you. And maybe they'll make some money along the way, but they love you. And they will go to any length to see this through. Okay. Don't do the heavy lifting. No, I wouldn't be. This would be a project where I would be, yeah, not doing that. I love it. Now you got to come back and tell us, like, when you get it all lined up, you got to make an announcement here. Well, it will be the movie of the century, (gasps) and it will change the world. It will change change the art world forever. My gosh, somehow I knew that. Mm Mm-hmm. Wendy, thank you so much for today. I can't. Thank you. First of all, I want to thank you for taking on a topic of ageism that people are just not willing to take out vocally and not loud enoughly. Yeah. And so I want to thank you for doing that. Thank you. Um, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Wendy, last question. I know we got a minute. I'd love to know your personal message. I would love to know what you want to leave us with today. I think that everybody just needs to wake up and celebrate every day because that's all we have, period. That's all I have to say. Perfect. We got nothing else. (laughs) Yeah. And I I just, I want to say just play ping pong. That's what I do. There you go. I love play ping pong. (laughs) Wendy Cooper, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat. Mark Anthony, wait, 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 wait for it. Wait for it. Ta-da! I'm listening to that right now. You aren't know, you glad um, he did it in his voice, though, Wendy? Don't yes. You, aren't you glad he did the book in his Yes. Yeah. I, I like uh, your little impersonations of people, too. All right. We got to roll, everybody. Thank you so <laughs> much. I'm Dr. Pat. Tune in. Transformation Talk Radio. Mark Anthony. Of course, AfterlifeFrequency.com. And all of you, Jessica, all of you rock. We'll see you next time. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in to The Psychic and the Doc with Mark Anthony and me, Dr. Pat Basile, right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, look, come back next week so we can explore with you more of life's many challenges and learn from fascinating guests. And you know what? Even Mark and me. We'll connect you and discover insights from people in this life and from the afterlife. Extraordinary problems? Yeah, they do. They require extraordinary solutions. But step into the world of possibilities with us on The Psychic and the Doc. 
That's every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. That's TransformationTalkRadio.com. And don't forget, we're also live face-to-face on Facebook.com, Transformation Talk Radio. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. Today, writer Steven Johnson presents us an interesting thought experiment. What if we had to write a newspaper headline for the entire century? What would be the big headline? In his 2021 talk from the Ted Monterey stage, he offers what he thinks is the biggest story and why. This was one of my favorite talks from the whole conference. I still think about it a lot. And if you want to dive deeper on this stuff, Steven's got a book and TV series and coming soon, a new podcast all around this topic. It's called Extra Life. You wouldn't put your teen athlete on the same field as the pros. So why would you take them to the same doctor? Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is Georgia's only nationally ranked program for teen athletes. Visit today at choa.org slash teens. TED Talks Daily is supported by Hair Food. Hair Food offers simple, superfood-inspired products that will make your hair look and feel amazing. And every Hair Food product is certified PETA cruelty-free and is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oils. I have been using the coconut and chai spice shampoo and conditioner. It smells so good. I've also loved Hair Food's mission to nourish my strands. So if you are looking for nourished, healthy hair, it's got to be Hair Food. Look for it at Amazon, Walmart, and Target. There's a classic thought experiment that's designed to trick your brain into thinking long-term and getting out of the daily news cycle. And it goes like this. If a newspaper came out once a century, what would the front page banner headline be? Be defeated the Nazis or landed on the moon or built the internet? I would argue that it would be the story of a single number, maybe the most elemental measure of progress that we have, life expectancy at birth. The length of time that the average person can expect to live in a given place at a given time. A hundred years ago, as best as we can measure, the average global life expectancy stood somewhere in the mid-30s. Today, It's just over 70. 
So in one century, we doubled global life expectancy. This is an extraordinary achievement. And you'll sometimes hear people say that life expectancy and this kind of progress is actually just a statistical illusion, that we got better at reducing infant mortality, uh, but the rest of our lives are actually not all that different. And it is true that infant mortality has been dramatically reduced over the last 100 years, but the story is much richer and more intense than that. A hundred years ago, there were less than two billion people on Earth. Today, there's almost eight billion and counting. And we have that runaway population growth, not because people started having more babies, but rather because people stopped dying and the generations stacked up. And we have problems like climate change because of these underlying trends as well. I mean, if we had kept mortality rates where they were in 1920, we wouldn't have anywhere near the magnitude of the climate crisis we're facing now because there simply wouldn't have been enough people on the planet to emit enough carbon in the atmosphere to make a meaningful difference. In, in a weird sense, climate change is the unintended consequence of industrialization and increased longevity. So all this extra life is a mixed blessing, like any change this momentous. But I want to stress not just that we did it, but I think the more interesting question is how we did it. That's what's been obsessing me over the last three or four years. That's the investigation I've been on, trying to figure out what are the prime movers when we see change this momentous, what is really driving that change? And I think we should say, given everything that's happening in the world, we should point out that you know, one of those prime movers, which we should shout from the rooftops, is vaccines, right? We doubled, yes, right? <laughs> Thank you. I did invent vaccines, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, from smallpox to polio to influenza and TB and measles and COVID. I mean, if we celebrated the eradication of smallpox the way we celebrate the moon landing, we would have a lot less vaccine hesitancy in the world right now. But I also think it's a mistake to focus exclusively on the march of science and the kind of tangible objects like vaccines and antibiotics or x-rays. And to explain what I mean by that, I think it's useful to look at the story of how we conquered one of the most terrifying threats of the 19th century. Milk. Now, we think of milk as this kind of emblem of health and vitality, but in fact, in the middle of the 19th century, milk was a serious health threat, particularly to children. We had no mechanical refrigeration, and so there was a lot of spoilage problems. People could get tuberculosis from milk. Um, they, they figured out this thing for urban cattle where they couldn't feed them grass, so they would feed them a slop from whiskey distilleries uh, in, instead of grass brilliant idea, which produced this kind of blue-tinted milk that was very dangerous called swill milk. In 1850, more than half of all the deaths recorded in New York City were young children, many of them killed by contaminated milk. Now, look, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I know how we solved this problem. We solved it with science. We solved it with chemistry, right? I mean, the solution is so famous, it's sitting there printed on every carton of milk in every grocery store in the country, right? Pasteurization. But actually, the story of pasteurization is a case study in the limits of science. Because Louis Pasteur came up with his technique for sterilizing milk in 1865. But we didn't actually have pasteurized milk as a standard on American grocery stores 
shelves until 1915, a full 50 years later. And that's because science and chemistry on its own wasn't enough to make a meaningful change. You also needed persuasion. You had to convince people to drink pasteurized milk. You had to convince the dairy industry to make pasteurized milk. And that took a whole other cast of characters. It, it took muckraking journalists. It took crusading lawmakers. There was a whole subculture of pasteurization activists back then. Maybe the most unlikely one was a department store magnate named Nathan Strauss, who got obsessed with the pasteurization cause, and he funded all these milk depots all around New York City where pasteurized milk was, was sold at cost to low-income residents so that they would develop a taste for it. So in a sense, the way to think about it is that Pasteur solved the problem on the level of chemistry, but Strauss and his allies solved it on the level of society. And you need both fronts to affect change on that scale. And there's another prime mover that we don't talk about enough, which seems a little bit unlikely in the context of you know, disruptive innovation, and that is large <laughs> bureaucratic institutions. <laughs> Now, if that seems contradictory to you, I suggest that you flip through the pages of any pharmaceutical drug catalog from the early 20th century. I mean, these things are just a laundry list of deadly poisons, one after another. Arsenic, mercury, belladonna, not to mention all the heroin and cocaine. A lot of medical historians believe that all-in, pharmaceutical drugs were a net negative in terms of human health until the invention of antibiotics in the 1940s. That's what life was like. I mean, in 1937, there was this Tennessee pharma startup that hit upon this idea for a new cough syrup, a, a cure for strep throat, actually, targeted at, at children. At the time, there was a new drug called sulfa drugs that were kind of a forerunner of antibiotics, but they were generally packaged in this bulky pill format. It was very difficult for kids to swallow. So a chemist at this startup came up with the brilliant idea of dissolving the sulfa drug in diethylene glycol, and then adding some raspberry flavoring to make it more palatable for the kids. Seemed like a brilliant idea, except that diethylene glycol is toxic to human beings. It's basically antifreeze. And so almost immediately, weeks after, there were dozens of deaths around the United States from this terrible concoction. And the crazy thing is that putting diethylene glycol in your medicine was not a problem, given the existing regulations of the day. The only thing that the FDA was really interested in was whether you were actually listing the ingredients of your potion on the label. So if you wanted to put antifreeze in your cough syrup, go right ahead, as long as you actually list the ingredients on the label. That's what life was like. But because of this tragedy, laws were changed, and for the first time, the FDA mandated that pharma companies show that their drugs were not harmful to consumers, which seems kind of obvious, but somebody had to figure that out. And so what we needed at that point was not just kind of new miracle drugs. We needed new institutions. We need new meta-innovations, like three-phase trials and uh, randomized controlled experiments and regulatory bodies like the FDA to separate out the, the fake cures from the real thing. And that kind of institutional innovation is going to be increasingly important in the decades to come. Because all around the world right now, there are well-funded scientists at serious labs that are working on tackling the problem of aging itself. I mean, currently, the outer boundary of human life is somewhere around 110 and 115. It's very hard to live past that. 
But there is serious research out there that suggests that we can just blow past that boundary and live for decades longer, maybe even indefinitely. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it is on the table. And the thing about it is, if we did do that, it would be the most momentous change in the history of our species, right? Initially, it would intensely increase the health inequalities in the world, because only rich people could afford these treatments originally. It would greatly exacerbate our runaway population growth problem. And it would fundamentally alter the, the definition of the arc of a human life. And when you ask people, do you think we should mess around with immortality, ordinary people, most of them say no. But the problem is, we don't have collectively a decision-making body that can help us wrestle with changes this immense. We're like the FDA back in 1930, like, go ahead and make your immortality pill, just make sure the ingredients are right on the label. That's where we are. So the kinds of innovations we need are going to be on the level of oversight and decision-making. And I think we can make these innovations if we, if we work at it. Now, I, we all realize that regulatory overreach is a problem, so we're going to have to design decision-making bodies that are both sensitive to the dangers and the unintended consequences, but also genuinely open to the possibilities. But to my mind, we should be focusing less on extending life indefinitely and more on reducing the gaps that remain in health outcomes here and around the world. I mean, just look at what we've lived through in the past year and a half. On average, white Americans lost one year of expected life in 2020, thanks largely to COVID. African Americans lost three years. And we should be focusing on reducing the gap between what we call health span and lifespan, the amount of time that we spend that is fundamentally healthy and at full capacity. I think we all agree that these are problems that are worth solving, and we have the tools at our disposal right now to solve them. If the first great revolution in human health was extending the overall average human life, the second should be about closing the gaps. Thank you very much. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. We are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of election, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, 
diplomatic, intelligent, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silent, not praised. Unelected deep state operatives who divide the voters to push their own secret agendas are truly a threat to democracy. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Jeff Dornick Show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, we come to you guys every single morning, 10 a.m. Pacific time for a brand new episode of the show. Uh, breaking down the news, bringing on guests, having a lot of, having a lot of discussions. Uh, as you guys know, we've uh, recently kind of reformatted the show. Um, and Donna Norton, thank you so much for tuning in over on Facebook and for your prayers as well. Um, so, so today, uh, to, well, as I was saying, uh, with this show specifically, we've been um, we've been reformatting the show, kind of restructuring it. So I've been doing two segments a day. So the first half hour will be one segment, the second half hour will be a separate a separate segment. Sometimes we'll go a little bit longer. But but essentially, what we are what we're do, what I'm doing here with the show now is is setting it up to where I can have more conversations, discuss more topics, have more guests, things like that. So today we're actually going to be talking about the latest jobless report that came out uh, that is, in my opinion, an indictment on the Biden administration and their horrific policies in regards to our economy. But also after, in the second half of the show, I'm, I'm bringing on uh, Jason Dutch from Dig on America podcast. And we're going to be debating the Electoral College. Now, he take, he's going to be taking the position that we should abolish or change the Electoral College. And so we're going to have a, an open and honest discussion about that. Uh, he comes more from the left. I come from the right. And we will discuss and debate. So it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating discussion. So make sure you guys stay tuned. Watch the entire show. Make sure that you guys are staying tuned for that as well. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting, really interesting conversation. Uh, before we get started uh, with with our story about the jobless report, uh, I wanted to let you guys know about Freedom First Coffee. It's our own coffee line that we developed. It's a hundred percent organic. It is fire roasted. It tastes like freedom. The way that we actually roast our beans, our coffee beans, is we put them into an, an antique Victorian coffee roaster where the flames are barely grazing the coffee beans, bringing up perfect flavor through the caramelization process. And this is what sets us apart from all the rest. It's not only is it organic to where you're not getting all the pesticides and all the crap chemicals that are in all the rest of the coffees, but also you are getting it to where it's roasted to perfection. So go to freedomfirstcoffee.com. Use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. This is the coffee you will love. This is the coffee that Patriots drink. Again, that is freedomfirstcoffee.com. Use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. And that is just one way you guys, you guys can support this show and Freedom First Network as well. Again, freedomfirstcoffee.com. Use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. Okay, so I uh, wanted to discuss the latest jobs report that came out, or as I'm referring to it, the Biden jobless report. And it's been interesting watching the spin that the that the Democrats and the Biden administration are taking in regards to this uh, to this new jobs report. So the um, according to this according to the report, the U.S. employers only added one hundred and ninety four thousand new jobs in September. Now, uh, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh uh, told CNN Newsroom that this is a complex report. Uh, and, and and he said, when we look at the reason for that, the Delta variant, the rise in the Delta variant, absolutely had an impact 
in the restaurant leisure hospitality area, both as hiring and also in in people going out to dinner using that. Um, so here's here's the here's the deal. Let, let's let's take a step take a step back, and then we'll deal with kind of breaking apart the the Biden administration's response. Because I got to tell you something, their response is nothing but spin, and they're not actually getting down to the real heart of the issue and why why companies are not feeling comfortable in hiring more staff and more employees. So here's the problem. Number one, okay, okay. Number one, what we're looking at is we're looking at, at, at people that don't know whether lockdowns are coming, whether lockdowns are not coming, whether vaccine mandates are coming, whether they're not coming, whether they're required to wear a face mask or not. This is a, this is a major issue. And, and I think that this is actually the crux of what's going on in regards to why our economy is is in the current state that it's in, it, we're not being effective. We're not being clear in our communications. We are not allowing the people of America to make up their own minds. We're not allowing businesses to make up their own minds. The government is taking control of everything. The government thinks that they have to provide the solution for every single issue. And that is simply just not the case. That is simply just not the role of the government. And, and so what's happening right now is, is you're seeing, okay, we're, we're opening up the economy, supposedly. We're, we're opening up jobs. We're t- getting coming out of lockdowns after, what, what was it, 15 days to slow the spread? That turned into, what, what are we at, 19 months, 20 months to, quote, unquote, slow the spread? That's where we're at right now. Number one, we were lied to. And you know it was you know it's and it's even really frustrating because I know Mike Pence was really pushing the fifteen do- the fifteen days to slow the spread. Trump was kind of getting on that bandwagon too, but but all the government, all the government officials, Gavin Newsom, Fauci, everybody's like, we just need fifteen days just to slow the spread so it doesn't get out of control, and it just turned into complete lockdowns everywhere for for indefinite amounts of time. Okay, so that that's really that's really what this turned into. So now I think the Democrats are like, well, look, we're allowing companies to open back up. Why why are companies not hiring people? What's going on? Companies, start hiring people. You're allowed to hire people now. As if the government ever had the responsibility or the or the role to tell companies that they can't hire people, that they have to let people go, that they have to fire people. This is this is this is the problem when you have government involvement into our day-to-day life. They overcomplicate things, and they make everything worse. That's a serious problem here, where we have government officials that think it's their responsibility to protect you and I from a virus. It's their responsibility to protect us from getting a virus by telling us, you're not allowed to go to a store. You're not allowed to go to a restaurant. You're not allowed to go do all this kind of stuff. But they refuse to take responsibility for the ramifications of their decisions. Because I got to tell you something. The economic fiasco that we are in right here and right now, it's not COVID-19's fault. It's not the American people's fault. It's not the virus. It's not the, it's not the anti-vaxxers. It's not anybody. You know whose fault it is? It's the person who made the decision to lock down this country. It's the person who made the decision that we have to 
require and demand companies practice social distancing. It's it's the fault of the person who who's who's deciding for the vaccine mandates, for the vaccine passports, for the vaccine requirements. It's not COVID-19's fault. COVID-19 only kills, what is it, 0.1% of the population? COVID-19, according to the FDA data that the FDA cited when they claimed that it was saying that the, that the vaccine is 95% effective, according to the data, both the vaxxed and the unvaxxed have a more than 99% survival rate, according to their own data. So, and actually, if you look at the data, their own data is actually significantly higher than than uh, the survival rate when it, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the, the mass population. Their own data shows that you have a more than ninety nine percent chance of not getting COVID nineteen whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed. According to the data in general, the American people have a ninety five percent chance. But let's go with the FDA data because the FDA is going to be more official, right? More than 99% chance of not getting COVID-19, whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed. Okay? It's not COVID-19's fault that our economy is destroyed. You know whose fault it is? The government officials who shut down the country. Gavin Newsom, who's shutting down California. LA County and San Francisco County. Excuse me, I think it's Los Angeles City and San Francisco City. Who are literally requiring vaccines in order to go into a place of business. Now think about this. Think about this. Who was the one who shut down the company? It was not COVID-19. If it was COVID-19, the business owners would have shut down voluntarily. But no, the business owners, for the vast majority of them, wanted to stay open. Who shut them down? It was the government. It was tyrannical, authoritarian government officials. They were the ones who shut down the economy. So when we talk about, oh, there was all these, there, there was massive jobless, joblessness, all these people on unemployment, the Democrats tried to pin that on Donald Trump. No. You know whose fault it was? It was the Democrats and the rhino Republicans who shut down their states. That's whose fault it is. That that is where the blame should lie. The blame falls onto the people who made the decisions to take away your jobs, to take away your businesses, to force companies into bankruptcy, to force families into foreclosure, to force people to get evicted from their homes. That's whose fault this is. Not COVID-19. So when the Biden administration is blaming the quote-unquote Delta variant, when they're blaming the coronavirus, the COVID-19 supposed pandemic, and that's why people aren't they're not comfortable to go to go travel. They're not comfortable to go to a restaurant. That's actually not true. Again, I'm out here in Communist California, which is about as progressive as you can possibly get. People aren't terror like they're not scared of of delta variant and that's why they're not going to restaurants you know why they're not going to restaurants is because of all the requirements and they don't know what's going to be expected of them and they've been pumped with such fear from our own government from people like fauci they've been pumped with so much fear 
that they don't understand the double speak. They don't understand the hypocrisy. They don't understand the double standards that are being implemented. That's why the economy is struggling. That's why people aren't necessarily comfortable with going to restaurants in the same way, at the same rate that they used to. But let's take this even a step further. Why are companies hiring people? Number one, if you go all over California, you see help wanted signs in almost every business window. You like companies want to hire, but people I think are comfortable work being at home, figuring it out from home. A lot of people were so reliant on unemployment that they were on, on unemployment for more than a year. And now, now they now they're start trying to start to struggle to figure out where, where they can get a job that they actually want, that that they'll be motivated to get out of their home. But on top of that, there are companies that are not hiring. Why are they not hiring? Why are some of these companies not hiring people that maybe they used to have a huge, a huge workforce? Now not so much. Why is that? Well, number one. Because they don't know if they hire somebody, are we going to go back into another lockdown? Are they going to have to furlough people? Or are they going to have to let people go again? Why would you go through the whole process of tr- searching for somebody to fill a position? Why would you go through the whole process, train them, only to let them go in three months because of either a vaccine mandate or or uh, or we go back into lockdowns? Why would you do that? It's unpredictable. Business owners aren't going to be hiring people in an unpredictable state. Why? Because their job is to turn a profit. Their job, their their job and their responsibility is not to provide jobs. That's a socialist mentality. A business owner's responsibility is to turn a profit. Then what you do is you leverage that profit in order to hire people to make more profit. How do great leaders handle change? I'm David Novak, and on my podcast, How Leaders Lead, I bring you conversations with the top entrepreneurs, athletes, and CEOs who are making a difference in the world one decision at a time. Consider this show a set of best practice visits of leaders like Tony Hsu of DoorDash, Indra Nui of PepsiCo, Ajay Banga of MasterCard, So listen to How Leaders Lead with me, David Novak, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Care has the power to bring kindness where it's needed. It brings out the best in every one of us. It doesn't just see people. It takes time to understand them. It puts the needs of others ahead of its own. And when you start with care, you end up with a very different kind of bank. Truest. Truest Bank member FDIC. The government, these government officials, they act as if it's business owners' responsibility to provide jobs and well-paying jobs. When in reality, it's the business owners' responsibility to make a profit. If you are, if you are not making a profit. You cannot stay in business. If you cannot stay in business, you cannot provide jobs. Thus, a business owner 
their responsibility is to pay as little, and you're not going to like this if you're on the left, but a business owner's responsibility is to pay as little for as, for as much work as they can possibly get. If your responsibility within a job is valuable, you will be paid more. If you could be replaced by any Joe Schmo on the street, you will be paid less. And you are actually probably less likely to get hired in this current economic state. So where does the responsibility lie for this jobless report? You know where it lies? These Democrat and big government Republican government officials who are creating utter chaos. It's people like Gavin Newsom who locked down our economy out here in California, forced restaurants and businesses to go bankrupt, to go out of business altogether. That's who's responsible. You know who else is responsible? Joe Biden himself. Joe Biden himself. A lot of companies are very hesitant to hire people because they don't know the rules when it comes don't know the rules when it comes to vaccine requirements. Now, Joe Biden announced that he was going to implement an executive order demanding that OSHA require businesses of more than 100 employees to mandate vaccines for those employees. And if they don't, they will be fined massively. Last I checked, last I checked, that executive order has not actually been filed. So this is creating more chaos. This is creating more people, more business owners to not know, can I hire people? Can I not hire people? Do I have to make sure that they're vaccinated? Do I not? Am I allowed to ask their medical history or not? There's a lot of unpredictableness. These Democrat, big government, globalist, progressive policies and messaging is leading to the utter destruction of this nation. And they're going to try to blame COVID-19. No. Take responsibility. It is nobody's fault but Joe Biden and the Democrats that this jobless report came back so horrifically. It's their fault. It's not COVID-19. It's not coronavirus. It's not your and my fault. It's their fault. They're the ones that screwed it all up. Joe Biden, Gavin Newsom, Cuomo, de Blasio, Whitmer, all of these, even Big Abbott in Texas. This is their fault. Why? Because first, They put our economy into a tailspin intentionally. Second, they're not being clear about how we're going to get out of this. They are not being clear on what is expected of businesses. And number three, the government is overstepping its bounds. They're overstepping their authority. Joe Biden does not have the legal and constitutional authority to require a business to mandate anything, let alone an experimental drug like a vaccine. That's out of his purview. That is out of his responsibility. 
But does that stop him? No. It does not stop Joe Biden. Why? Because he doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care about the Constitution. So if our own government doesn't care about the law, they don't care about the Constitution of the United States of America, why should we care about following their stupid, idiotic, messed up, illegal, supposed mandates? Why? Unfortunately, the American people have submitted. Unfortunately, the American people go right along with it. And Donna Norton, Donna Norton made, made, a, made a very good point when it comes to these vaccine and the mandates and all this kind of stuff. She said, and it's only for emergency use from what I have researched. That, that is true. And, he, and here's the reality. Despite the fact that the community vaccine from Pfizer and BioNTech, despite the fact that that is FDA approved to date, those vaccines, if we're going to call them vaccines, are not actually on the market right now. They're not. You, you you know you know where they are they're they're beginning to be in production they're being distributed in other places around the world but not here why are they not being distributed here in the United States money you know you know what you know why it comes down to money because our government stupidly our government stupidly bought billions of dollars and this is both on Trump and Biden so this is not just me being oh bashing Biden no I'm being critical of Trump here too. Both of these presidents have billions of dollars gobbling up all of these vaccines before they were even needing to be used. We stockpiled hundreds of millions of doses of these jabs. And then now, now guess what? Now now we have an actual FDA-approved vaccine. But because our government spent billions of dollars stockpiling these these injections stick them in warehouses try to get them out to be distributed now that we've stockpiled them guess what they're not going to jump from the emergency use authorized vaccines that are stuck in that are stuck in a somewhere waiting to be jabbed into somebody Bef- what they're going to do what they're going to do is they are going to run through those that are emergency use authorized first and then allow the ones that are actually FDA approved. So first, they're having to run through all of the emergency use authorized vaccines before we can even get to the FDA approved ones. So they're putting out of these mandates, they're putting out of these requirements, rush out, go get your vaccine. Except, yes, there's a there's an FDA approved vaccine but it's not available. Think about that one. So we have a bunch of people running out thinking. We have a bunch of people running out thinking that they must go get vaccinated and that if they do get vaccinated, that they can, that they can, or that they are getting the one that is, that they are getting the one that is actually FDA approved. And let me tell you something. They're being misled. They are being misled. And that that is a very scary, scary thing when, when you think about this. When you think about it, that is scary. When you have people that think, sorry, I'm just getting the link over to um, to Jason, who's going to be joining me to do this de- debate over the Electoral College. But when you have people that think that they're getting something that is FDA approved, 
But then, it turns out that it's not. Is that kind of defrauding people? It's just, just an idea. Just an idea. Well, okay, and, and Donna, Donna also said, they won't tell you which one you're getting. They, 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 actually, they, they actually are telling you. Like, So you, you know, okay, I'm getting the Pfizer-BioNTech. I'm getting the Moderna. I'm getting the Johnson & Johnson. The problem is that people are like, oh, I, I want the Pfizer because that one's FDA approved, but it's technically not. The ones that you are getting are the ones that are actually under emergency use authorization. Okay, so all of this is, is, is a big rabbit trail. And I want to bring I want to bring this back to the main issue before we bring on uh, Jason. We're going to uh, discuss and debate the uh, the electoral college here in just a sec. But here's the thing: the the uh, the jobless reports that came out. We have to remember that is the fault of the government. That is not the fault of COVID nineteen. So. When you see the Biden administration running all around claiming, oh, this, 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 this is caused by COVID-19. This is not, this is not our fault. We're here to help you. We're here, we're here to help you. That could not be further from the truth. Our government made decisions. They have not panned out to be the correct decisions. And that's both Biden and Trump. Both presidents made wrong decisions. Our government never should have spent billions of dollars on emergency use authorized vaccinations before they were fully tested, before they were fully approved. And that goes back to President Trump when he was in office. So we can't act like this is 100% 100% Biden's fault when it comes to the vaccines and the rollouts. However, when, when we are looking at the responsibility of the joblessness and the lack of jobs coming back, we have to look at who are making the decisions to lock down the country, who are making the decisions to make the, the comeback unpredictable. And this is where we have to put the responsibility onto the proper shoulders. It's not COVID-19's fault. It's the mixed messaging and the decision-making of our government officials. And that's both Democrat and Republican. We cannot just blame one side or the other because there's a lot of problems on both sides. So that's something that we really, really have to be careful about. So uh, with that said, we're going to bring on Jason Dutch here in just one second. But first, I just want to let you guys know uh, that one of our sponsors is Our Gold Guy. If you guys go to OurGoldGuy.com. Uh, check that out. Um, Ira is is our gold guy, and he can answer all of your questions about whether investing in gold is right for you. Uh, you know, he he's an America first patriot. He loves this country. He sources all of the gold right here from the United States. He's not importing it from other countries. And uh, if you guys want to support a good, solid, conservative company, definitely go to OurGoldGuy.com. Let me know that Jeff sent you. He will take great care of you. He's got some of the best rates around. A lot of the other companies, they ha- they got really high margins, really high, really high profit margins, and a lot. But a lot of it is that way they turn around, and spend a lot on on spending a lot of money on on faces and you know conservative celebrities and people like that to be their spokespeople. Whereas Ira, he's like, no, I, I want to streamline this thing. I you know I'd rather take a, a lower percentage, give you guys the best rates possible. Okay, so go to ourgoldguy.com. Let them know that Jeff sent you, and Ira will take great great care of you. And let me tell you something: with all the unpredictable the economy the way that it is, inflation occurring, the devaluing of the dollar that just pumping trillions of dollars back into the economy. Who knows 
what's next for our economy. So the, the one thing that I would say that I would definitely say to do, consider investing in gold, have an asset that will adjust with inflation and indeed the devaluation of the dollar. Ourgoldguide.com, let them know that Jeff sent you. How do great leaders handle change? I'm David Novak, and on my podcast, How Leaders Lead, I bring you conversations with the top entrepreneurs, athletes, and CEOs who are making a difference in the world one decision at a time. Consider this show a set of best practice visits of leaders like Tony Hsu of DoorDash, Indra Nui of PepsiCo, Ajay Banga of MasterCard. So listen to How Leaders Lead with me, David Novak, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.